The 2022 political field was intense, so don't get left behind in 2024. If you're running for political office, the first thing on your to-do list needs to be securing your name on the web with a yourname.vote web domain from GoDaddy.com. Get yours now. Welcome to another episode of Breaking Battleground with your host, Chuck Warren. I'm Sam Stone. Our first guest up today, Bill Gertz of The Washington Times, national security correspondent for The Washington Times. He is also the author of eight books, his most recent one, Deceiving the Sky, Inside Communist China's Drive for Global Supremacy, reveals details about the growing threat posed by the People's Republic of China. Thank you so much, Bill Gertz, for joining us this morning on Banking Battlegrounds. Great to be on the show. Bill, so what is the growing threat of China? What, what do the American voters need to understand about the threat? Well, I think it's, I think it's the existential threat facing the United States. And it comes in many forms, but underlying the threat is uh, what the Chinese leader Xi Jinping is calling Marxism-Leninism with Chinese characteristics for a new era. So in other words, this is not something that's dreamed up uh, by the personal dictator of Xi Jinping. This is this is all going according to ideology. And according to that ideology, the Chinese ideology, and this is in their writings, and I've, I've uh, documented this in, in a lot of my reporting, uh, they make clear that they are on the march as part of this uh, inexorable historical materialism, which is part of Marxism, which says uh, struggle is going to lead to the ideal worker's paradise. And the intermediate stage before reaching that is socialism. So the Chinese socialism is being developed, and that's where they're developing their military. They're developing a uh, draconian, what I call uh, technological uh, technology totalitarianism of, of the surveillance, mass uh, surveillance. And uh, the main target for them is the United States. They see the United States as the world leader of capitalism. And, of course, under Marxism-Leninism, capitalism is the main enemy. So they're working very diligently. And unfortunately, for 40 years, most of our leaders and specialists in, in, in government and out have, have failed to recognize this, that this is really an existential ideological threat. They want to take over the world and me, no one uh, who was raised in freedom and democracy in the United States would want to live in a world uh, dominated by the Chinese Communist Party. You, you have an article out today in the Washington Times about the 2024 Defense Authorization Act. And in that report, um, Congress is ordering the Pentagon to conduct a major study of a U.S. war with China around 2030. My two questions are this. Is 2030 too late? Do they need to be preparing earlier? And two, what are the specific things in the report, based on your reporting, that our listeners need to know about? Well, yeah, this is, a, this is some legislation that was uh, just passed, uh, and it's bipartisan. So they've been working on the, what they call the National Defense Authorization Act uh, since last summer, or even before. But uh, it went to a what they call a House-Senate conference, the conference Included, And this is where they do puts and takes and fight over uh, which uh, provisions will stay in, which ones get cut out. And there are many 
related to China. I, I characterize it in my story as this is really solidifying a bipartisan representation of what I call the China threat. And the need for a study on a potential war with China in the coming years is because uh, it's a very, very dangerous situation now. Uh, Basically, uh, we've seen a number of indicators that the Chinese are getting ready for to use force to take back Taiwan. Uh, They're doing uh, the cost-benefit analysis there, trying to figure out, is it worth the cost? Uh, will, what will we lose if we take it back? Uh, what kinds of things? And right now, the global situation is, is really advantageous to Beijing. You have uh, a war in Ukraine, which is siphoning off both attention and resources from the United States. And we now have a war in Israel against Hamas, which is also... Uh, taking resources and attention. Um, And so the Chinese uh, calculation regarding Taiwan, first of all, Xi Jinping, the supreme leader of China, has has told his military to be ready to take military action against Taiwan by 2027. Another date that has been mentioned is 2035. So somewhere in that time period, uh, now they, they often say we're going to uh, we want to resolve this peacefully, but we won't renounce the use of force. And, of course, that's the real danger. Uh, the whole uh, cross-strait balance and this very, uh, what they call the status quo that has been in place since the U.S. recognized Beijing and de-recognized Taipei on, on Taiwan, um, has been this idea that they have to resolve this peacefully. And yet the Chinese are making clear they're not going to resolve it peacefully, that they they are planning to use force. They are building up their forces. They are cir- encircling the island with both uh, aircraft and warships uh, in order to coerce uh, Taiwan. So it's a very dangerous uh, – they could calculate that if, say, Donald Trump were to be reelected, it would be very disadvantageous for them uh, regarding a Taiwan military operation. So between now and the next election, I think is one of the most dangerous times. Uh, and, and, of course, uh, President Biden, to his uh, credit, has said on several occasions that if China uses military force, the U.S. will respond with military action. So he's been very clear on that. He's done that to try and deter them. Um, uh, now, the White House has not really walked back, as many people say in the press, but what they've said that this is not a new policy. And that's correct. Under the 1979 Taiwan Relations Act, which Congress passed to really protect our, our, our former really close ally and now partner uh, in Taiwan. Uh, the Taiwan Relations Act says that any, any response to uh, a crisis in Taiwan will be decided by the president with support of Congress. Bill, you sort of answered one of my questions there, which is, is 2030 too far down the road for this timeline? And doesn't that, in some sense, give the Chinese an incentive to launch before such a study could be completed or before anything like that happens? Um, But one of the things that has really changed in recent years that makes this possible, uh, or at least from China's perspective, makes it possible for them to uh, effectively have a, a very good chance of, of taking Taiwan if they choose to do so. Is there buildup in the South China Sea? You recently had a piece on 
Chinese claims uh, to the South China Sea Shoal, uh, which the Pentagon said are illegal. Can you tell us a little bit about what's going on there and what the security implications of what China is doing in the South China Sea are? Sure. Uh, it's a it's a what I would call a second uh, military flashpoint in uh, U.S.-China relations, uh, the first being Taiwan. Back in 2012, the Chinese took over a disputed reef called Mischief Reef, appropriately named, <laughs> which is in the same island chain as this other reef called Second Thomas Shoal, which is, these are very small islands. So what happened back in 2012 was uh, Barack Obama made no response even though the Philippines government, in which we have a mutual defense treaty, asked for U.S. support, Obama ignored it. It gave a green light to the Chinese to begin building up islands in the South China Sea, which they see as military bases. Uh, by the way, Xi Jinping came here and said, oh, we're not going to militarize those bases. Well, by 2018, they had built uh, as many as 3,200 acres of new islands. And they began placing missiles on these islands. So how many? How many, how many? Let me stop you there. How many acres again? Three thousand two hundred acres of islands. So for for, two, for for our yeah. audience, give us an an example of how big that is. What, what type? What size of a city is that? Well, it, it, it's they're all different islands. There's many right. different islands in the Spratly. There's two sections. One is the Paracels in the northern part of the South China Sea. And then the Spratleys is, again, the flashpoint in the south part. And China has built a trio of military bases on three islands, uh, uh, Suvi Reef, Fiery uh, Reef, and uh, Mischief Reef. And on Mischief Reef, they have a 1,000-foot runway, which can handle all of their military jets. And they've even placed anti-ship missiles and anti-aircraft missiles. And what this effectively means is that the South China Sea, which is international waters, you know, by the way, the Romans, when they were uh, dominated the world, never claimed that the Mediterranean Sea was their territory. So hmm. the Chinese claim that the South China Sea, which sees an estimated $5 trillion in trade annually, passed through its waters. They've declared it their, their lake, in other words. And the U.S. has been pushing back. And what's happened is on Second Thomas Shoal is Philippines outpost. It's a rusty old Navy ship that's grounded. And it has a detachment of Filipino Marines, and they're ones that are basically holding the line and saying this is international waters. They had a ruling that went in their favor at the International Tribunal in The Hague. And the Chinese have been trying to basically block uh, supply ships from going to that uh, grounded ship base. And uh, this thing and the, and the Indo-Pacific Command, which is responsible for it, just issued a legal opinion fairly recently, which said any Chinese claim to Second Thomas Shoal, where the ship, the Philippine ship is located, are illegal. And so, again, the Chinese are claiming that it's their territory. So this is another potential flashpoint. Uh, there have been incidents of the Chinese firing water cannon. They've, uh, they've bumped uh, one of the Chinese Coast Guard ships, bumped a Filipino thing. Uh, ship. Then also a, uh, a Chinese Coast Guard ship fired a laser at one of the Philippines resupply ships, and it damaged the eyes of the of the crew. So this is this is an area where tensions remain pretty high. How much uh, we we have about a minute and a half before we go back to before we go to break. We're going to be coming right back after that with more from Bill Gertz of the Washington Times. Real quick, Bill, before we go. 
How much in a Taiwan conflict would the Philippines, South Korea, those other countries potentially get involved? I know that's a kind of a long answer, so maybe it's something we come back to more uh, in the second segment here. But it seems like this conflict, China has more than one potential adversary there, but how active they're going to be given the dynamics is, is a pretty good question. Yeah, uh, real quick uh, before the break is that uh, there is a major effort by the uh, uh, U.S. government under uh, the Indo-Pacific Command to garner support from the allies. Two key allies in this regard are Japan and Australia. Both governments have signaled, signaled informally that they would join a military defense of Taiwan they would join a U.S. military defense of Taiwan. They haven't stated it clearly as the U.S. wants, but they they want to do that. Fantastic. Folks, we're going to be coming back with more from Bill Gertz here in just a moment, so stay tuned. Also, you're not going to want to miss our second couple of segments today. We have John Stossel coming on the program. Very excited to talk to him. Breaking Battlegrounds will be back in just a moment. Overstock, we know home is a pretty important place, and that's why we believe everyone deserves a home that makes them happy. Whether you're furnishing a new house or apartment, or simply looking to update and refresh a few rooms, Overstock has everyday free shipping and amazing deals on the beautiful, high-quality furniture and decor you need to transform any home into the home of your dreams. Overstock, making dream homes come true. Welcome back to Breaking Battlegrounds with your host, Chuck Warren. I'm Sam Stone. Folks, you've hearing us talk about Y-Refi for a long time now. If you haven't checked them out, you need to go to their website, investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com. You can learn how you can earn up to a 10.25% fixed rate of return that's not correlated to the stock market. You can turn your income on or off, compound it, whatever you choose. There are no fees, and there's no attack on principle if you ever need your money back. You'll get your monthly statement each month with no surprises. So check them out. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com, or give them a call at 888-YREFI24. We were talking about, in the previous segment, about the alliances in Southeast Asia. What should the United States be doing to strengthen these alliances? Because that seems to be a real key to somehow preventing China and their aggressive desires. Yes, good question. Um, The key right now is, uh, again, to deter China, to influence their decision calculus about when to take military action, when to bully uh, regional states like Philippines. And the best way to do that, I, my recommendation, if I were a king, if I were the <laughs> head of policy at the Pentagon, I would start deploying THAAD missile defense batteries in our regional allies, Australia, Philippines, more in uh, Japan. I think we have one in northern Japan. And we saw, and, and South Korea, we saw uh, the Chinese reaction to the deployment of this uh, very high, effective anti-missile system in South Korea. They basically waged economic warfare on South Korea for a number of months. And, and the reason is, is that these uh, missile defense systems can negate their, one of their key advantages, which is China's missile force. They have a massive force of all different types of missiles with various ranges, short, medium, intermediate range, 
They even have hypersonic missiles. Uh, they have an air-launched ballistic missile. And, of course, they have their maneuvering warhead uh, anti-ship ballistic missile. So uh, that would be my uh, initial response. The second thing that they're already doing is increasing the number of Tomahawk cruise missiles in the region. Um, we have four Ohio-class uh, ballistic missile submarines that have been converted to cruise missile shooters. Each of those submarines can launch 154 missiles. The Chinese fear this system more than anything because these are low-flying, ground-hugging uh, cruise missiles, have a very good range, they can maneuver, and the Chinese fear that. In addition, Japan has announced they're buying 400 Tomahawks and Australia is buying 200 Tomahawks. And uh, the general in charge of the Pacific Army, uh, General Charles Flynn, uh, he's announced that they're planning to, to build uh, ground-based missiles. So uh, rather than just defense, we have this offensive fence, if you will, of Tomahawk, very effective, precision-guided Tomahawk cruise missiles. And that is a signal to the Chinese. And in, in conflict, you always go after the center of gravity. In, in the case of China, the center of gravity is the Chinese Communist Party. And those missiles could threaten the rule of the Chinese Communist Party, which Beijing fears more than anything else. They don't care about the population, the 1.4 billion people. They care about the 93 million members of the ruling Communist Party of China, which is really hated throughout China. What should, should the United States... What should the United States do about our manufacturing base? So Tomahawk missiles got to be built, right? And and everything you're hearing is that we're just not prepared to replenish our supplies quickly. And Ukraine has put an exclamation point or on that. Or to gear up or for to a gear major up for conflict. That. What needs to happen there, Bill? Definitely need to focus on reestablishing secure supply lines. A lot of our supply lines are vulnerable uh, to, to disruption, whether by cyber or other means. Um and we need to focus on bolstering the manufacturing base. Yeah, we are vulnerable with the ability to rapidly resupply our forces. Uh, could we do it in more time? Yeah, I think we could. Uh, but it's better to do it now to be ready Correct. than to do it when uh, when the balloon actually goes up. Does, does our support of Ukraine send a message to China or not? Is this something that's being blown out of proportion, or is Ukraine defeating Russia critical message to China about regarding Taiwan and just the United States will? Yeah, I think uh, Ukraine is, uh, you know, we learned in the last century that uh, when you don't counter military aggression, uh, it leads to worse things. So uh, helping Ukraine defend itself against Russia is important, but strategically or geostrategically, the real threat again is China. China wants to see the U.S. waste a lot of money and a lot of uh, munitions and, and a lot of uh, support by helping Ukraine. I think we need to help figure out a solution to this, whether either win the war, uh, again, uh, helping them win the war, getting the Europeans to do more to help them win the war. But uh, to me, the most serious threat, again, is China. And China uh, is learning lessons about how the U.S. would respond to a Taiwan conflict by looking at uh, how we're helping Ukraine. And also, China is working to 
my view is that I have this theory. I don't have any real evidence for this, but I think Xi Jinping wants to re-communize Russia under Vladimir Putin, who is a former political police and intelligence officer uh, who, who are not formally communists, but obviously they're, uh, they're pro-Soviet in a lot of respects. And that Putin has said that that was the, the worst disaster to befall Russia was the fall of the Soviet Union, which ended a key element of the Cold War. So I think uh, Xi Jinping, again, he wants to dominate the world. Uh, the main impediment to that is the United States. So he's working through various means, mostly covert, what they, the military calls gray zone warfare, to undermine and defeat the United States, uh, fentanyl being a, a, a clear case of, of their using uh, precursor chemicals to support the Mexican drug cartels and killing hundreds of thousands of Americans. Yeah, Bill, before we end up today, we've got just two minutes left, and I want to make sure you have time to tell folks how to how to get your book and on follow you and all that kind of thing. Um, but real quick before we go, one of the things that's changed has been China's ability to surveil their own population and others, and they seem to be trying to export that technology to other countries, including Russia. How much does this technology give the dictators of the world hope that they can finally achieve their dreams of total population control, uh, you know, throughout most of the globe. Yeah, high-tech totalitarianism, as I call it in my book, Deceiving the Sky, um, it's very effective. Um, and it gives them the ability to say that the democratic system doesn't work. Uh, they play on our divisions within our system, uh, but they try to show that they have a model which can actually uh, control populations. You know, the Chinese are into total control. And uh, it's it's very dangerous from my standpoint, from my viewpoint. And I think we need to do more to get information about the dictatorial system, the communist system, the ideological tenets of it. And, uh, and in that way, I think we can ultimately defeat the Chinese Communist Party as we did the Soviet Communist Party back uh, under Ronald Reagan in Perfect. the 1980s. Bill, how do folks follow you, and how do they get your book? Um, my website is The Gertz File. That's GertzFile.com, and I'm on uh, X at, uh, at Bill Gertz. And uh, you can also look for my book at, at uh, DeceivingTheSky.com. Fantastic. Bill Gertz, uh, correspondent for The Washington Times, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate your time. We look forward to having you back in the future. Folks, Breaking Battlegrounds back with John Stossel in just a moment. Welcome back to Breaking Battlegrounds with your host, Chuck Warren. I'm Sam Stone. Next up, a guest I'm very excited to speak to, someone I've watched on TV. Many of you have probably done the same for many, many years. John Stossel. Uh, he's been a reporter for over 50 years uh, with Good Morning America on ABC, Fox News, and he recently left Fox News to start Stossel TV to reach more young people, which I think uh, Chuck and I both agree is one of the most critical things anyone can be doing right now. He is a 19-time Emmy winner, uh, and right now 10 million students a year discuss liberty and free markets in class via Stossel in the Classroom. Uh, which is another fantastic program. So thank you so much for joining us. Uh, John Stossel, welcome to the program. Thank you. Good to be here. One of the things that you've talked about that I've really – this was one of my pet peeves when I worked at the city of Phoenix is how many of these federal welfare and spending programs, how many of these safety net programs are really built on – 
fallacious foundations. The numbers and the reasoning behind them are kind of ridiculous. One of those is the food insecurity lie. Uh, Talk a little bit about the food insecurity myth, because you're one of the only people in the country that's been uh, isolating on that. And it is a ridiculous claim that they make. And the program that comes from it is just riddled with waste. Yet it's convincing. And by saying what I say, I'm accused of being indifferent to the suffering of the poor. But they get this food insecure number by the Agriculture Department, asks a bunch of people, have you ever during the year had to substitute food because you were insecure about having enough money at the end of the week? Um, and we ask people that way, and you certainly find 20% of the people who, I guess it's lower than that, it's 24 million Americans, uh, who say yes. Sure. I I mean, I've had a week where, you know, I had to look at it and go, I can't go out and get to go get a steak. I got to get some chicken tonight. I mean, but that's that's how open ended this question is. And then it leads to this massive federal program. And she has SNAP and WIC and all these programs. And those people think they're doing their job when they're giving people stuff. And look, if you run a food kitchen, you feel good because you you certainly want to believe you're really that these people would be hungry without you. But the evil part is the teaching dependency. And you know, we've spent trillions now on this war on poverty, and I was there at the start, I'm ashamed to admit, and cheered it on. It just made sense. People are poor in a rich country. We need wise people in government who can set up programs that will help them. Um, But what nobody reports is how the opposite almost happened, that before the war began, people were lifting themselves out of poverty. Every year, the poverty level was going down and down and down. And then they passed welfare, and it continued to go down, as you'd expect, since we were now spending all that money. But after about seven years, that progress stopped. We taught people to be dependent. We created a permanent group of help, semi-helpless people who just think the way to live is to live off the state. And it, it kills the taxpayer, and it makes these people miserable. Yeah, and we're seeing that. I, I So I remember very clearly when I moved back to Phoenix, I had two neighbors. I, I rented an apartment online. It ended up being a, a little bit of a rougher location than I expected. I had two neighbors. One were working poor, one were dependent poor, two families. That working poor family have since gotten ahead. The dependent poor family continues to wallow in dependency. They've reached three generations. How impossible is it now to get out of this trap that the government has built when you have no role model? I wouldn't use the word impossible because people do it, but it sure makes it harder. And you look around, well, that's just how people live. I guess I should. Before we go to our segment, we're with John Stossel, Stossel TV. You can find him at johnstossel.com. John, tell us a little bit about what you're doing at Stossel TV that's different from Fox News and elsewhere. Well, it's different from cable because I edit. I'm, I'm not smart enough when they ask people stuff on TV <laughs> spout answers. I need at least a week to research things and to edit it down to some answer that's comprehensible and ideally fun, which is what I used to do on 2020. 
And so now I'm doing that on my own, supported by viewers. And uh, every Tuesday we release a new video. Fantastic. We're going to be coming back with more in just a moment from John Stossel. As Chuck mentioned, you can catch him at, at John Stossel TV, uh, Stossel TV, johnstossel.com. Uh, he has been a, yeah, an advocate for consumers, an advocate for citizens, and now, frankly, an advocate for freedom that this country very much needs. So, folks, stay tuned. We're coming back with a much longer segment here in just a moment. Breaking Battlegrounds. We'll be back momentarily. Overstock, we know home is a pretty important place, and that's why we believe everyone deserves a home that makes them happy. Whether you're furnishing a new house or apartment, or simply looking to update and refresh a few rooms, Overstock has everyday free shipping and amazing deals on the beautiful, high-quality furniture and decor you need to transform any home into the home of your dreams. Overstock, making dream homes come true. Welcome back to Breaking Battlegrounds with your host, Chuck Warren. I'm Sam Stone. Folks, you've been hearing us talk about Y-Refi for a while now. You need to check them out. You can earn up to a 10.25% fixed rate of return that's not correlated to the stock market. You can turn your income on or off, compound it, whatever you choose. There are absolutely no fees and no attack on principal. If you ever need your money back, you'll get your statement each month with no surprises. So check them out. Invest, the letter Y, then refy.com, or give them a call at 888-YREFI24 and tell them Chuck and Sam sent you. Great. We're with John Stossel. Uh, today on Stossel TV on December 6th, you wrote an article or column, How Private is Private. Can you talk a little bit about what tech companies are doing and why consumers should be concerned about that? Um, I think people know now that they spy on us. It took Edward Snowden to tell me about putting tape on my computer to hide the cameras. Uh, I don't really think they want to look at me, but uh, I now know that they could. <laughs> and occasionally, some of these usually young creeps do. Um, and But the other one is that they always know where you are, who your friends are. It creeps me out when I get these advertisements, and I think, do they just listen to me? But probably not. They just saw what my friend was interested in, what I was probably talking about, and offered me a product close to what I was talking about. Uh, I interviewed Naomi Brockwell, uh, who has a popular YouTube channel, who is furious about this. I'm maybe stupid, but I'm not so freaked out. I like it that they spy on me, um, because it helps me get restaurants near me and recommendations for products that, oh, yeah, I might want this thing. And that's nice. Now, she points out that the government, probably illegally against the Fourth Amendment, collects this data about us. Um, and should laws change, say they make cryptocurrency illegal or make marijuana more illegal again, or who knows what, um, they could have data on you that they use to prosecute you. I just don't think that in America it's that likely. They used it in Hong Kong, the Chinese did, to crack down on the protesters when they cracked down on Hong Kong, and that's horrible. But I, I don't think even Donald Trump would do that. 
You um, you had a video out called "Are We Doomed?" about climate change, and it received 24 million views. And then a fact checkers got to Facebook, and they cut it off. And you posted on Stossel TV um, a rebuttal to this. Can you tell us a little bit about the video, uh, where people can find it, and just some of the mistakes that this pushback came that they're just not being honest about? You can find it just by Googling John Stossel, Are We Doomed? Um, And most of what you introduced, I would agree with. Uh, We did get 24 million views, which was a lot. And I think it was popular because it was three climate scientists who said, we don't think this is a crisis. Yeah, we play a role and the climate's warming, but it's not a crisis. And we'd like to debate you alarmists. And the alarmists wouldn't come. We had three empty seats. And they went down the points about how Holland, years ago, with crummy equipment, built dikes to keep the rising water out. And a third of Holland is below sea level. And yet Holland thrives. We can adjust to a warmer climate. We have have more people who who freeze to death every year than, than die of heat. So... We're still a long yes, way from the crisis. Many, yeah, many more. That kills far more people. But yeah. you use the word fact checkers as if they check facts. Right. And what Facebook did was partner with a, a lefty group called the Pointer Institute and empowered them as fact checkers. And they partnered with a group of climate alarmists and gave them the power to censor on Facebook. So. Uh, this video, which got 23 million of its views on Facebook, you you, you barely can find it on Facebook now because they just won't show it to people. And in, you know, what what did I get wrong that that they censored it? I called their reviewers, and the reviewers, too, agreed to be interviewed. And during the interview, I was surprised to hear them say, when I said, well, what's wrong here? And what, when you watch, what, what bothers you? Well, we didn't watch. That's an error if you think we watched this thing. Now, we were just told that you interviewed this one guy and we disagree with him. And actually, now that we've watched it, you're very balanced. You tell both sides of the story. And they put the, the fact checker put stuff in quotes that I didn't say. Uh, that was on a related story. You have to have to get Facebook to done you twice before it really kills your reach, and it's really killed my reach. The other one was the claim that the California wildfires were caused by climate change. And the climate change did play a part, but temperature is warmer in California. But most of it was bad forest management, and they don't clear away the underbrush. They don't want to spend the money on that or take the risk of doing a controlled burn like the Indians did or we used to do long ago. Um, so it's man-made California fires, and so they, between the two of them, does it? Hey, I, I'm off the point. I'm on the censorship. No, you know, but you're but you're right because it it seems like there's some of these issues where, to my mind, when you are this, you know, aggressive in limiting debate, in preventing people from hearing that there may be different ideas or a different side of a story or a different take, that to me just says your position is is unbelievably weak to begin with. The the position you're defending 
is almost indefensible or you wouldn't have to do that. Am I wrong? I think you're right. And, you know, Facebook doesn't really want to censor stuff like this. If I could get Mark Zuckerberg's attention, he'd probably say, well, that's wrong. But the climate activists are upset that I got 24 million views and that people like the video. And they, they, these are the people who are panicked that we're not doing more to pretend to stop climate change. And some of them, their livelihoods are at stake because they want government, continued government grants or subsidies for their windmill boondoggles. But some of it are just, many of them are just genuinely scared. And, and they're upset already that we aren't spending more and doing more. And here is Stossel out there, and we can stop him. We, we can stop him, but we don't actually have to stop to listen to what he has to say before we do that. Or That's, debate it. Yeah. They won't debate. Have you noticed the climate alarmists will not give credence to the skeptics by debating? Which, again, just strikes me as that's an incredibly weak position. I, I want to move on really quick to one of your other pieces because this is – Chuck knows this has been a pet peeve of mine for many years. Uh, you wrote a piece called Shut It Down. And one of the things that's driven me crazy about re- Republicans in Congress, in the Senate, is every time it comes to we've got to cut the budget, they they capitulate, they fold – because they're afraid to shut it down and be blamed for it. And every time it's not the right time politically, we have an election coming. Well, it's never the right time and we always have an election. How much of that is just an excuse and these people are just content to continue to spend us into potentially our national grave? Most of it. (laughs) I mean... Uh, let's uh, let me go from this here. So you've been, you know, you've been a leader in the industry. You're, you're well respected. How is suppression become a bigger factor now than it was, say, ten, twenty, thirty years ago? In your view, so Suppre- what become a bigger Supp- suppression of facts, a suppression of debate? Has it become a bigger issue now than it was ten, twenty, thirty years ago? Well, yes, in that there is organized suppression now, even involving the government. Um, But on the other hand, 30 years ago, we weren't having these ideas either because there were only three TV networks and a few newspapers. And when Walter Cronkite said, that's the way it is, people believed that. Then at least we got Fox TV and weirdo sites and many alternatives and and that's good. Um, but I see why some people want to suppress that. How much I, – I, I just don't understand this effort to – turning to one of your other pieces, ter, smearing capitalism. I, I don't – you look around the world empirically, capitalism is, is nowhere near perfect, but it's by far the best economic system that's ever been invented what is this push and why are they pushing so hard to to basically tear down capitalism it's in their hearts it just seems greedy and bad rich people making money off and some people being so poor and they're stupid and then they have stupid professors there's <laughs> stupid colleges teaching them this this stuff and it is hard to get your brain around the concept 
that capitalism creates wealth. It's natural to think that if uh, Elon Musk has a billion dollars, that somebody else has a billion less. Uh, it's hard to grasp the idea that every transaction that's voluntary adds value to the world, and we're all getting richer. And if you can't see that, then capitalism is just greed. And you, what my video was about that just ran recently was that they even claim it makes people lonely. And it's just we found endless headlines, Los Angeles Times, there's a mass loneliness crisis going on. Jacobin Magazine, capitalism makes you lonely, makes us feel empty inside, says Vox. And there's just no data that shows anybody's more lonely now than we were in the past. And in fact, researchers sometimes ask people uh, of the same age in life in previous generations, they've asked them years ago and they ask them now, they don't find increases, which is odd uh, because more people live alone now. Um, but the people who live alone and spend less time surrounded by other people also say they're more happy with the relationships they have, and they're not lonely. And finally, in, in the, the less capitalist countries, many more people say, if you need help, do you have someone to count on? More of them say no. In, in capitalist countries, it's in the low single digits. One of the things, you know, people always, the left and particularly the, the communist socialist left always likes to talk about the pie. We're dividing up the pie. And they completely miss the concept that capitalism is planting another field of pumpkins so you can bake that many more pies. Absolutely true. But it's, you know, it's not intuitive. You have to really think about it or be taught about it. What? And that's what, why I put my stuff in classrooms. Which I think is like one of the most valuable things that a lot of leaders and thought leaders can be doing today is trying to do a better job of reaching out to young people because we're seeing, you know, in so many ways that universities and the K-12 system underneath them has become ideologically homogenous institutions. How how much how many interactions have you had with kids who just say, hey, I never knew any of that stuff you were telling me before. And what do we need to do to expand the reach of people like yourself doing this work? How to expand it? I, I don't know. Leave me alone. I'm doing all that I can. <laughs> any idea I have. I we're we're counting on you. You're like the only one who gets this stuff. <laughs> it's, it's you and Prager you. <laughs> Very hard to convince people. My, I could convince my wife, like, for a minute. And then a month later, she'll pick up a New York Times article and she'll say, what about this? This is why government has to fix this. <laughs> it's for some people, a lot of people, this is just goes against the grain. It, it's very easy for folks, I think. Chuck, to fall into a trap where, you know, if you, your government says we'll help you with everything, then you just sit back and hope that for the best that they will. And that's not working out very well for many people. John Stossel, we thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate having you on the program. Folks, check him out, Stossel TV, johnstossel.com. Uh, obviously, it doesn't sound like Facebook's going to be the best way to follow you going forward, but uh, stay in tune with his work. YouTube, YouTube, YouTube. Sign up for our email list. Perfect. There you go, folks. Go to johnstossel.com. can't cut us off. And get that direct, direct from the man. 
John Stossel, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate having you on the program. Folks, stay tuned. If you are a downloader, we do have a podcast segment coming up for you today. Uh, So stay tuned for that. Otherwise, Breaking Battlegrounds back on the air next week. The 2022 political field was intense, so don't get left behind in 2024. If you're running for political office, the first thing on your to-do list needs to be securing your name on the web with a yourname.vote web domain from GoDaddy.com. Get yours now. Welcome to the podcast segment of Breaking Battlegrounds. Folks, if you're not already, make sure you are signed up on our Substack. Sign up on our website. Get all our all all the pieces that are coming out. Chuck's been doing some fantastic writing. We're going to have more and more content coming out there. So make sure you're subscribed. Breakingbattlegrounds.vote. Get all your, all your news is getting aggregated right there, folks. All Absolutely. the good stuff. Absolutely. Is it is it time for – do we have crime news? <laughs> well, today's uh, – it's – I mean, it's it should, a crime to it me. Should yeah. be a crime. It should, it be, should a crime, be a crime, but yeah, wait till okay. you listen to this one. So it happened in Jefferson County School District, which is in Colorado. Um, there was an 11-year-old girl who went on a school trip to Philadelphia DC, and D.C. And so um, they were, the parents were made aware that if the kids went on this trip, um, all the females would stay on one floor, the male students would stay on another. They're in fifth grade, so like they're... Not to be on, even on the same floor. Yeah, we we did this trip when I was about in fourth, fifth grade, somewhere in there, and they were very careful to keep us all totally separated because yep. yeah. otherwise you have a disaster. You probably didn't on your have hands. this problem, but um, there was an eleven-year-old yeah. girl who was assigned a room with three other students. Two of the girls in her room went to her school, and then there was a third student in her room that was a boy who identified as a girl that would went to a different school. So they didn't know who this person was. They were just assigned to the same room. Um, and the school had repeatedly told them and the chaperones that not to allow boys on floors and girls on floors. And when the parents clarified this, this wasn't, they had said this wasn't even a topic that they, or a thing that even came to their mind that could be a possibility. Right. Um, so the 11 year old girl did not know she would be sharing a bed with this transgender boy, um, until she was already in the room. All, all four students were in the room. The chaperone said, You'll be sharing a room with this person, whatever. They didn't know it was a boy at this time because the hair was long, dressing as a girl. Um, and I guess when, after the chaperone left, then the transgender male had disclosed that he was transgender. And it, I think the 11 year old girl, the mom described as like, didn't really know what was going on, just knew like it, like he was a boy. Yeah. Like there's and a she penis would be sharing a bed. bed with me. Yes. Yeah. And she would be sharing a bed. So she went to the bathroom, locked herself in there, called her mom. Her mom was on the trip, but staying, but was not a chaperone. So was not allowed to like, interact with the students until um she ended up going into the lobby like the student just left the room completely went into the lobby and then her mom then went and met her and um so when they called one of the principal that was there and when he called the parents of the transgender student they confirmed that he was transgender and that he was supposed to be in stealth mode so that he was not so stealth, stealth mode yeah so like supposed to be on the dl don't be telling anyone what's going on so they wanted to keep it a secret they then went on after this was all going on in dc um they moved the transgender student to then room with other girls and they were told the three girls that knew what he was transgender were told not to tell anyone else that he was a boy you know i i'm really worn out 
with this transitioning transgender issue. I, I, I don't know anybody who didn't talk. No one talked about it two years ago, right? No. I mean, this, this I is have a, one in my office space, a, a, trans, a, a transgender woman in my office space, not, not in my office, but my building. Everybody nice. No one's even questioned it. It is what it is, right? right? But now they're just forced to, this is not right, no. what this school no. was doing. Because they're, no. they're purposely keeping it a yes, secret. Yes, And I what I don't like, many things I don't like about this, I'm really concerned about the school's trying to tell these kids to keep quiet right. on things. This is dangerous. And this is happening more and more and more yeah. on many yeah. issues where schools are trying to create this relationship hidden from parents with these students. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And In I, so many levels. It's just, it's just wrong, and I don't understand how anybody with common sense views this as being right. No, I don't understand it at all because, look, at the end of the day – there, there, there are really good reasons because kids don't have a lot of good judgment. They don't have a lot of self-control. No. They don't have – I mean – That's why we don't let them kids, drink right. underage. That's why we don't let them do a lot of things right. underage, right? So, or we try to not. Which, which is why we keep the two genders separate when they're at those ages because you get a lot of ridiculously bad things that happen. Yeah. Yeah. When you don't. I, 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 yeah, again, I'm really, you know, many issues are concerning about this story. Yeah. But the fact that these schools keep telling these kids don't tell anyone is well, horrible. Th- this ties to so much else that's going on because this is the rot that the fish has rotted from the head all the way to the tail now. The head is the universities. Right. The tail is, is your grade school, local grade school. It has been rotten from head to tail. Because of this crazy ideology that's overtaken campuses, and we saw it on perfect display in Washington D.C. Well, we saw it in Washington D.C. this week. The presidents of Harvard, MIT, and the University of Pennsylvania um, testified in front of Congress. It was a complete <laughs> disaster. Matter of fact, for schools to tell people to prep for finals, they would have failed miserably. Right? <laughs> they did, they did not do their homework. Basically, it was kill all Jews does not violate Harvard's. Vibe policy, right? right? Um, and um, Representative Elise Stefanek said, does calling for the genocide of Jews violate the school's code of conduct or policies on bullying and harassment? For a moment, just think about this on college campuses. Think about how many we talk about protecting all these other fat phobia, all these other things, and you can't say anything. You misgender but, someone, but they he, throw you out of the school. So the, the president of Penn who needs to be fired. All three of them need yeah. to be fired. She just wrote, replied back, if the speech becomes conduct, it can be harassment, yes. So, so if, we, if, you, if we go out and violently attack yeah, so a when, Jewish student... When you're killing a Jew, that's harassment. It could... Well, <laughs> it can be harassment. Oh, could it could be. Not, yeah, yeah. It's not that it is, Well, they right? might be a dirty Zionist and uh, deserved it, right? And then I mean, the Harvard president, Nettley. Claudine Gay, who should also be fired, said, it can't be depending on the context. Everybody, you need to Google this and watch this testimony. Sam and I were discussing earlier this week that 80% of Yale undergraduates now get A's. Yeah. We are, we, these Ivy League schools, why anybody would spend money sending any of their kids there at this moment is beyond me. But Kylie and I were talking this morning. Kylie, talk about a little bit. I think part of the problem in this, too, is DE, DEI. Yeah. Talk about a little bit what we spend on this. Well, so this morning I was trying to figure out how much universities spend on DEI. Um, and the University of Michigan is one of the top 
spending universities. Um, they spend eighteen point one million, which is about point six four of their budget. Um, their the well, person it, that runs the program gets paid four hundred upwards of four hundred and thirty one thousand dollars annually. So, so it's actually quite a bit more because I've dug into this a little bit. So those are the numbers they'll give you. Yeah. But but then every department right. has DEI monitors that are part of that department. So they're not counting the yeah, people. Yeah, the hard part was trying right. to find like the, a well, so real example, number. There's supposedly one hundred and sixty three. DEI personnel at Michigan. Right. The average university has 45.1 people tasked with this. That is an undercount by far. There's but no huge, way that's many. Huge. Yeah. And the average no, yeah. salaries are 329 to 430. And you know how many of them should be employed? Mm. Zero. On Indeed right now, on a deed, <laughs> there are 409 <laughs> university diversion inclusion jobs open. So the University of Michigan spends $32 million of their budget on DEI. And since starting this in 2016, their black undergraduates have gone from 4.3% to 3.9%. So they've gone down. Yeah, well, one of the things that, that all these DEI officers have done in lowering standards is they've actually really, really damaged. So the worst thing, it's one thing if you go through school and you end up with all this debt, but you have a degree that's a marketable degree, right? Mm -hmm. uh, it's another thing if you have a degree that's a garbage degree like a lot of these DEI. But the worst thing that can happen to you is you go to a school that you can't get through, that's too tough for you, and you walk out of that school two, three years later with a mountain of debt and no degree. And that is happening to more and more people as a direct result of these type of, of folks and their initiatives. I would I would submit to you, based on what they're doing at these prestigious universities, which they once really were, and for example, the story about Yale, eighty percent get A's, that uh, someone having an associate degree at Scottsdale Junior College or Paradise Junior College here are probably more educated than anybody going to Yale right now after two years. They're certainly more likely to be a good employee. And probably just a good human being, right. too. Um, I, I want to go on to another subject that I found very interesting. Um, two law professors, Robert Jackson of New York University and Joshua Mitz of Columbia, released a draft of a paper that makes a case there was a significant spike in short selling in principal Israeli company EFT, exchange-traded funding, days before the October 7th Hamas attack. Similarly, we identify increases in short selling before the attack in dozens of Israeli companies traded in Tel Aviv. Translation, there were people who, knowing the attack was coming, bet the stocks of Israeli companies would fail. Wow. There's just some evil people in this world. And that's, well, like, that's like a villain movie that James Bond would be called in to solve the problem, right? Well, it, it's, it, it also, yeah, it's that. But I hadn't seen that piece, and now that I'm thinking it through, I mean, part of the problem with this is all of those folks knew, but the intelligence services missed it. Oh, 100%. Mean, the, yeah. One of the issues is, and, and, you know, kind of one of the funny things, the story of Jack Ryan, if you read the books, they don't really do a good job in, in the movies and the, the video. 
But his value to the CIA was that he had made a ton of money on the stock market and he understood it inside and out. And so he could follow international financial transactions in a way no one else in their house could. How big a hole does this expose in the intelligence services that they don't have those people because nobody who makes money goes into that type of career? No, it's you know, it, well. It used to be a very prestigious career. Most of them came from Ivy League schools, right? Ivy League schools aren't producing well, they, this they, type of they intellect still anymore. come from Ivy League schools. They're just not coming with the intellect yeah, because just... of all the things we've been talking about. Um, another interesting thing I saw today. A uh, couple more points here. If we turn off, um, Rasmussen reports found that forty percent of Democrats. New York City Democrats support tearing down statues of George Washington. 40%. And while 82% of U.S. voters have a favorable impression of George Washington, only 49% have a very favorable opinion. That's insanity. There is just a real rotten society right now that... Well, it's, it's the fish head. Yes, it is. The very, universities. Very so. All this comes from the universities. They have started, you know, what was, and and I really, people get mad when I say this, but I blame Obama because when he came to his reelect and he realized how unpopular his legislation was, both Obamacare and the other things he was doing, he unleashed the forces of racial strife yes. to win reelection. He unleashed the darkest corners of academia, elevated them, gave them grants, gave them, I mean, government weighed in and elevated these dark and, frankly, to my mind, evil elements that were breeding in the darkest, dankest corners of our universities. They're doing nothing any different than the Chinese providing fentanyl to be sent in the United States. It's all about creating division, contention, and you cannot survive as a society without it. One final note here. The four biggest government unions spent $700 million in 2022 on Democrat campaigns. Think about that, folks. The National Education Association, American Federation of Teachers, American Federation of State, County, and Municipal Employees, which you've dealt with, Sam, and Service Employees International Union spent $708 million on politics, with 95.7% of that going to Democrats. Remember, folks, these Democrat unions are the same people who turn around and negotiate their salaries with the same people they have elected. That they elect. elected, Yeah. Now, look, this is why government pay and benefits is ridiculously bloated, why every government agency is ridiculously bloated. And it is – I mean one of the problems is you can go pass up an infrastructure bill, but you're not going to get any actual infrastructure out of it because the money all just gets sucked down by these government employees. They never deliver anything. It's time – Frankly, we you know, if you basically played eeny, meeny, miny, mo and fired half of the government workers in this country, nobody would notice the difference the next day except those people. Exactly. Well, folks, we hope you had a great week. We appreciate our guests today, wonderful guests today. And, yeah, Bill uh, Gertz, John Stossel, thank you so fantastic. much for joining us. We appreciate us. Kylie's Corner again about a very depressing news. Next week, let's do something next happy. Next week, we'll be happy, yeah. Yeah, we're, we're The Christmas holiday season. season's coming, let's, yeah. Let's get some spice on it. Folks, we hope you have a great weekend. Follow us at BreakingBattlegrounds.vote or wherever you download your podcasts or any of our stations. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon.